Well, we just got finished talking about our, our values. And I was excited about that. And, you know, I'm excited to see Joyce use that as she's really living out her values and courage and going over to Thailand and Burma because it's something that she said, you know, she's not a courageous person. But I think she is. And it's going to be interesting how God's going to um, use her, not use her courage, but also that God's going to teach her and change her uh, through this trip. And so what we're going to do is we're going to start on a new series that's um, been on my heart, but it also kind of, you know, there's certain things that start bothering me. Every so often I get discontent. You know, there's something that's not right with me, and I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And usually that's the Holy Spirit telling me that, Dave, this is something that you need to work on, that you really need to start um, putting an emphasis on, especially when it comes to the community here at church. And one of the things that is bothering me is just that the impact we are making in the world around us. If you go to the uh, slide up there, it says, uh, Matthew 5.13 says, You are the salt of the earth. Now, in, you know, we know that salt um, preserves and it also flavors. But in a recent poll, as recent as last year, it says that 70.6 of Americans claim to be Christians. 70.6 of all of the people living in the United States claim to be Christians. And so the question is, if 70% of the people in this nation claim to be Christians, why haven't we made a difference in this country? If you look all around, you see all of the problems. And it, it does seem like evil is getting the upper hand. And so why is it that we as Christians aren't making a difference in this world? It's like we don't even exist. And this is what has been bothering me and starting to stir inside me. It's just a Dave, if you're the salt, you're supposed to be a preservation agent. You're supposed to be a flavoring agent. If that's the case, you know, how come, you know, it seems like the people around you, nothing's changing. And I don't know if you feel that way. And as I've been thinking about it, a lot of it is because either we're busy or or we've just settled into this middle-class, comfortable life. Well, we just like things the way they are. We don't want to stir the pot. We don't want to make waves. It's like, you know, my life is good as it is. And I would just like to keep it that way. We're going to show a clip of um, somebody who felt the same way about stirring the pot or going on an adventure. And so why don't we take a look at this? I was entirely respectable. And nothing unexpected ever happened. to wish me a good morning, or do you mean that it is a good morning whether I want it or not? Or perhaps you mean to say that you feel good on this particular morning? Or are you simply stating that this is a morning to be good on? 
All of them at once, I suppose. Hmm. Can I help you? That remains to be seen. I'm looking for someone to share in an adventure. An adventure? Now, I don't imagine anyone west of Bree would have much interest in adventures. Nasty, disturbing, uncomfortable things. Make you late for dinner. <laughs> good morning. To think that I should have lived to be good morning, my Belladonna took son, as if I were selling buttons at the door. Beg your pardon? You've changed. I'm not entirely for the better, Bilbo Beckins. I'm sorry, do I know you? Well, you know my name, although you don't remember I belong to it. I'm Gandalf. And Gandalf means... Me. Not Gandalf, the wandering wizard who made such excellent fireworks. Old Toot used to have them on Midsummer's Eve. (laughs) No idea you were still in business. And where else should I be? Well, I'm pleased to find you remember something about me, even if it's only my fireworks. Well, that's decided. It'll be very good for you. Most amusing for me. I shall inform the others. Inform the who? What? No, no. No, wait. We do not want any adventures here. Thank you. Not today. Hmm. I suggest you try over the hill or across the water. Good morning. It was really funny when you took a look at um, Bilbo Baggins, who's just sitting there enjoying life in the Shire. Then all of a sudden, you have Gandalf that asks him to go on an adventure. And he says, no, he doesn't want to go on an adventure. They're bad things. And uh, it's really interesting because the adventure that he's going to be called upon was there's this group of uh, community of dwarves that have lost their home. And basically what they're going to do is they're going to fight to reclaim their home. And then Gandalf wanted um, Bilbo to go with them to help fight to reclaim their home. And um, of course Bilbo's against this. And the dwarves finally come to him and they give him a contract that says they are not responsible if he dies. And they listed all the ways that he could die. (laughs) You know, he goes, oh, I don't want this. And so he goes to bed and he sleeps. And then the doors all uh, leave his home, and they, they set out on the adventure. 
Then he thinks about it. And then there's this wonderful scene about him just packing his stuff and running, racing out the door, leaving his comfortable life and saying, I'm going on an adventure. And he went on an adventure because he had the courage to do so. But so many times when we take a look at us, we don't want to go on an adventure. We want to sit at home in front of our house, you know, plant our flowers. And as Bilbo says, I don't want to go on an adventure because it's going to make me late for dinner. Right? Those are the things that we're concerned about. But um, one of the things that um, Alan Wakabayashi says in Kingdom Come, he says, for the most part, the rest of us, that means those who don't want to go on be uh, an adventure for Jesus Christ, maintain a quiet existence that fits easily into mainstream. We don't rock the boat as we flow downstream with the rest of society. Doesn't it sound like us when we look at the people that are going out there and making a difference? We heard, you know, like Joyce and Carissa come and tell us, you know, where they're going. They're going on an adventure. Co is going on an adventure. And so a lot of times we think, well, it's, it's for those people. It's for the professional missionaries. But for the rest of us, no, we kind of like a comfortable life flowing downriver, you know, with the rest of um, the people. And one of the things um, that he says, um, if I could find it, is um, this Alan Wakabashi who wrote this book, Kingdom Come, He is a professor, I think, at Northwestern, and he says this, I work on a college campus, and to a certain degree, Christians there do look different. They are busy. They are doing lots of Christian activities, Bible study groups, evangelistic outreaches, mission trips, and so forth. Yet the university around them goes on as usual, relatively unaffected by their presence. I sometimes find it difficult not to grow disheartened because many Christians and I look just like everyone else and the world just goes on its destructive way. And so this is something that he says bothers him too. Where he said the Christians on campus, they're busy. They're doing all of their things. They're in prayer groups and evangelistic meetings. They're in Bible study groups. But really their difference is making no difference on the campus around them. And I think the problem is when we take a look at how we view our faith. We view our faith through the lens of our American individualism. Even when we take a look at the good news. If I was to tell you, uh, ask you, what's the good news? What would you say? What's the good news of the gospel? Okay, that Jesus died for us, right? That's what we tell everybody. The good news of the gospel is Jesus Christ died uh, for us. And in our individual, the way we, in, as we look things through our individual lens, even if we look at John 3.16, how many of you are taught to put your name instead of the world? What, did any of you taught that? To insert your name in the world? Yeah. It says, for God so loved Dave that he gave his only son. And if Dave believes, Dave will not perish, but have eternal life. And we look at that and we insert our names in there and we take a look at the gospel as something individualistic. And you know what? The fact that Jesus Christ died for us is a central part of the gospel. But that's just the start. 
That's just the start. So many of us just get hung up there and we look at the good news. It's about Jesus Christ dying for our sins. And we go, okay. But then all of a sudden, when you think about the gospel, it's like, okay, then what's next? You know, it's been 20 years right now. And yes, I realize that Jesus Christ died for my sins. And so what we're going to start is even, excuse me, let me go back here. That when you talk about, you know, the good news is Jesus dying for the sins. Did you know that if you look at the Gospels, that Jesus never talked to the disciples about him coming to die for their sins until the upper room, the Last Supper? Prior to that, Jesus talked about forgiving people's sins. Prior to this, Jesus separately talked about him dying and that he was going to be raised again. But it was only until the Last Supper, prior to his death, where he put the two together. Right? And so his entire life, it wasn't like Jesus was going around saving people, telling them that, I'm going to come and die for your sins, and if you accept me, you will be saved. That wasn't his message. Jesus' primary message was the message of the kingdom. His entire three years of ministry, the majority of his time, was spent talking about the kingdom. Not that if you believe in me, I've come and you will be saved. And your sins will be forgiven. He talked about that. But look at the Gospels. And so basically, what is the message of the kingdom? Because how many of you heard, you know, the kingdom? When you read the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. How many of you have heard that phrase? How many of you really know what that is? You know, kingdom? A few of you do, right? A lot of us go, oh yeah, it's the kingdom of God. Oh, we ushered, when somebody will get saved, right? It's like, oh, that praise God, he's been ushered into the kingdom. And we pray that, God, um, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray for that. We talk about the kingdom. We use it in our vocabulary. But what do we really understand what the kingdom means? You know, sometimes we think we do, but if we don't, it's kind of like what um, Pastor Paul said, is if we don't know where to go, where are we? We're lost, Right? We get frustrated because it's like, okay, the kingdom of God, well, well, what's that? You know, I don't know. But Jesus spent most of his time talking about the kingdom of God. His primary message is about the kingdom. And he even says, but seek first the kingdom of God and, its right, and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And so when Jesus talks about the kingdom, you know, he talks about the people of the kingdom, He talks about the lifestyle of the kingdom. And he talks about uh, parables where he said, the kingdom of heaven is like this. Or the kingdom is like so and so. He always uses parables to be talking about the kingdom. And he talks about, you know, the kingdom being the parable of the soils. Remember that where um, there are certain people that um, come and they, uh, the word or the gospel is shared to them. But Satan comes and blinds it and picks it up before they could even respond to it. Then he said there were there are people in the kingdom that they accept the message, but you know what? When trials come, they wither away and they leave the faith. 
Then Jesus said, there's also people in the kingdom who they accept the message. But what? The worries of the world and the desire for material things are like these thorns that go up and choke them. And they can't grow. And then he talks about, well, there are people in the kingdom that accept the message. And they live it out. And then they're just very fruitful. He talks about, well, there are also the parable of the weeds. Remember that? He said there are people in the kingdom. There are some that are believers. And there are some that are with the believers that really aren't believers. And it's kind of like the wheat and the weeds. And he uses that example. But the problem is what he says is you really can't pull out the weeds without damaging the wheat. And so he says at the end, at the end, um, Jesus is going to come. And he's going to separate the wheat from the weeds. And so he said in the kingdom of God, there are going to be people that might appear to be believers, but they really aren't. And he talked about the parable of the mustard seed. The kingdom is like a mustard seed, which is the tiniest of seeds. But when it's planted, it grows into this big tree or bush that could house birds. And he's saying the kingdom of God is going to start insignificantly, insignificantly, but it's going to explode into these great proportions that are disproportionate to the seed that was planted. And he said the uh, kingdom of heaven is like that hidden, hidden treasure. If you go out in the field and you find something that's priceless in there, you put it back in there. And then you go back and you find out who owns that land. And you buy that land because it's something that is so that important to you that you want. And he says this is the way that we should be um, viewing the kingdom. It's something that we'd be willing to sell everything and give everything for to see this kingdom come here on earth. The kingdom is like a talent where you said there was this one master who goes away and he gives his servant one denarii, two denarii, and five denarii. And what he says is he wants him to go and multiply it. And then he comes back and two of his servants multiplied what he's given them. And that one servant didn't. He was afraid, and so he buried it, and he gave back to his master what he um, was given. And what did the master do? He got mad. He said, why didn't you multiply what I've given you? And so Jesus is talking about the kingdom. It's like for each one of us, if we are part of the kingdom, that God has given us certain gifts and certain talents that he wants us to multiply. He wants us to multiply. So if we're living in the kingdom, we have to have that mindset. And he also tells the kingdom of heaven is like... The, this master or king, that this one, he brings this one servant that owes him more money that he could repay. And the king said, well, go and you're going to be punished, you and your family. And the servant just begs the king and he says, look, I'll pay you back, I'll pay you back. And then what? The king has mercy on him. And then he says, your debt is forgiven. But what happens to the servant? He finds somebody else that owes him a little bit of money. And he goes to this person and he starts choking him. He says, you pay me all the money that you owe me or you and your family. We're going to send you to prison too until you can repay that debt. And then the king finds out. And the king is furious because he says, look, I forgave you for the debt that you couldn't repay. Shouldn't you forgive others? And so this is what the kingdom is like. He says, look, Jesus says, I'm forgiving you this debt that you can repay. You should go and be forgiving. And that you should go and forgive others. 
And finally, he talks about the kingdom of heaven is like separating the sheep and the goats, right? And we talked about that um, several weeks ago, where in the end, Jesus is going to bring all these nations to everyone. Um, oh, yeah, all nations to him. And he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. That the sheep are the ones that, you know, cared about people, who lived the values of the kingdom, and they will be ushered into heaven. And the goats are the ones that didn't care, that they just cared about themselves. They didn't care about the other people in this world. They did not live out the kingdom message. And so they are condemned to eternity, you know, in hell. And these are just a few parables of what Jesus talks about the kingdom is. And this is what we're going to be spending our next series on, is talking about the kingdom. What is important to Jesus about kingdom. Why is this whole thing about the kingdom of heaven so important that Jesus spent the majority of his time speaking about that? But then again, why do we not get that too? Right? Why have we reduced the gospel message to just Jesus Christ died and saved your sins? When really, what, when Jesus came and said the kingdom is here, He's saying, the kingdom is here because I'm here. The king is here. And we're going to change this world. It's going to be radically different. And he took a group of uneducated men. Well, the only educated men they had was the one who betrayed him. But the, but the other guys, you know, they weren't educated. But he took a ragtag group of people and they lit the Roman Empire on fire. It was like Jesus lit a match to dynamite. Boom! And it exploded. And it changed the Roman Empire. They changed the Roman Empire. This is what Jesus asked from each one of us. Jesus wants us to change this world around us. We know that when Jesus first came, he came to usher usher in his kingdom. And his kingdom will not be totally fulfilled until he comes back again. But for us to live... In this kingdom, we're going to have to have courage. We're going to have to push past our fears to live in faith and obedience to God. We're going to have to be willing to go on an adventure. And I want to end with this last clip here to see, to show and what happens at the end of this trilogy after Bilbo went on this adventure and fought many wars and faced many dangers and how he's changed at the end. So if we could show this. Bilbo, don't look. Don't look. Lie still. Oh. I'm glad you're here. I wish to part from you in friendship. No. You are not going anywhere, Thorin. You're going to live. I will take back. My words and my deeds to the gate. You did what only a true friend would do. Forgive me. I was too blind to see it. I am so sorry that I have led you into such peril. <coughs> no, I'm, I'm glad to have shared in your perils, Thorin. Each and every one of them. Deserves. 
This is the same hobbit that didn't want to go on an adventure. And King Thorin, at the end, said, I'm so sorry for all of the perils that I put you through. And the same scared hobbit said, no, he thanked. And he was grateful for each and every peril that he faced with Thorin. And it was more than any one of his family could have expected or wanted. And I hope that's us at the end of our journey. Yes, we're going to face perils as we live out the kingdom of God, as we want to go and change the world. But I hope that we could say that we are thankful for each and every one of them. Because as those perils changed Thorin and eventually changed the world around him, the perils that we face as we try to change the world too will make us different. And hopefully it'll make the world around us different. Let's pray. Father, I know that you know, facing the world and trying to change it is a scary thought. That there are so many dangers out there. And that it's going to cause us to leave our comfort zone. To leave our armchairs and our flowers and our our trees and to go and do battle to try to reclaim this world for you. But Lord, we know that this is what you've called us to do. And so Father, I pray that you would give each one of us the courage to do so. That Father, that you would, your spirit would just shake our souls and spirits right now to allow us to see that being comfortable is not good enough that father that you want so much more than for us to be comfortable that you want us to experience an adventure and yes that's going to include perils that's going to include dangers you know some of us are going to get wounded along the way but father I know in the end we're going to take a look back and say it was so worth it to be fighting for you, to try to reclaim this world back for you. 
And so, Father, as we sit here today, as we think about our workplaces, and we think about our family, and we think about the places or organizations that we're involved with, Lord, I pray that you would give each one of us not only the desire to change these environments around us, but give us the courage and the insight and the wisdom to know what to do in order to change the world around us for you.